Good to see you all on this nice, chilly morning. <clears throat> Wakes you up a little quicker. We're going to begin this morning with a, a scripture reading out of 1 Timothy. We've been reading through 1 Timothy, um, and you may have forgotten, but we're at chapter 5. So go ahead and open up to 1 Timothy chapter 5. We'll read verses 1 through 16 just to kick us off this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 through 16. Paul writing to Timothy says, Do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather plead with him as a father, to the younger men as brothers, the older women as mothers, and the younger women as sisters in all purity. Honor widows who are widows indeed. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, they must first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family and to make some return to their parents. But this is acceptable in the sight of God. Now, she who is a widow indeed, and who has been left alone, has fixed her hope on God and continues in petitions and prayers night and day. But she who lives in self-indulgence is dead even while she lives, and command these things as well, so that they may be uh, above reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially of those of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. A widow is to be put on the list only if she is not less than 60 years old, having been the wife of one man, having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, if she has shown hospitality to strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has assisted in those in affliction, if she has devoted herself to every good work, but refused to put younger widows on the list, for when they feel sensual desires and disregard of Christ, they want to get married thus incurring condemnation because they have set aside the previous pledge. And at the same time, they also learn to be idle as they go around from house to house, and not merely idle, but also gossips and busybodies uh, talking about things not proper to mention. Therefore, I want younger widows to get married, bear children, keep house, and give the enemy no opportunity for reviling. For some have already turned aside after Satan. If any believing woman has widows, she must assist them, and the church must not be burdened, so that it may assist those who are widows indeed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word, which gives us instructions on all kinds of subjects that are pertinent to the church. Lord, help us to be a church that pays attention to those instructions, that seeks to faithfully um, do ministry the way that you have called us to. Uh, Lord, I'm thankful for this group of men that you've brought together this morning. Uh, Lord, I pray that we would be an encouragement to one another. Uh, Father, certainly that your word would be an encouragement, uh, convicting. Uh, Lord, as we think about uh, leadership in the church, as we think about faithfulness in the church and what that requires, uh, Lord, that you would help us to be found faithful in you, dependent upon you, uh, Lord, so that we might continue in the race just as you have called us. Uh, so, Father, we commit this time to you, and we pray this in your Son's name. Amen. All right, well, if you've got your, your booklet, um, and it looks like we're out of booklets back there, so I'm going to have to uh, go grab some other ones. Now, but if you've got your booklet, we are um, going to be on page 79 starting, and we're looking at problems with contemporary methods, uh, particularly dealing with expository preaching. And so we're looking at what does it mean to be faithful in the pulpit in America, in the church today. 
Uh, last time we were together, we covered the first, I think it was like six or so, first five. Uh, one of the problems he said is that modern preaching focuses on what people want to hear. That's on page 76. Um, and so you're going to start with the idea that people obviously know what's best for them. They know what they need. And, and so you just need to meet those needs based upon where they're at. Find out what they want, kind of the Rick Warren style where you just pull the audience and then you give the audience what they want. Now, of course, this would not be the model that we have adopted, nor will we, based upon what Scripture says. Uh, The second thing you covered were a couple of influences that have driven modern preaching. But one he says, and I think this is definitely pertinent to what's going on in America today, would just be a fearful response to the growing evil that we see in our culture. Um, I, I just listened to a podcast yesterday that was basically basically said the last good year in America was 2014. It's all downhill from here. Which you could probably make an argument the last good year was well before that. But nevertheless, uh, we seem to be going downhill. And there's all kinds of different responses that the church is having. And uh, we want to be careful that we're not adopting practices that are not biblical based upon what we see in the culture. We want to continue going just as Christ has called us, conforming to the Word, and let that be our standard. And so there is growing evil, but we want to respond in a way that Christ has uh, called us to. And so that would be one. Another way you might could respond to that, he says, would be a desire to lower lower the bar. So, okay, uh, yes, there's evil. Uh, Maybe people don't know the Bible quite as well, or whatever it may be, and so... In order to deal with that, we're going to take the bar that's, that's up here that Christ has set for us. And we're just going to bring it down uh, maybe a little bit further down here. We'll get them into the church through entertainment and all kinds of other methods. And then it seems as though our churches are still doing great when the reality is uh, they're not truly being fed the, the truth. And so we keep the name, but we change the game. And of course, that's not what we want to do either. Another thing he said, just as we quickly review, would be just the training of modern preachers, focusing on the, the listeners, kind of similar to point one. Uh, and so you're just, your hermeneutic is basically, somebody locked out? Save, save that man, someone. Yeah, it's a little trick here. Sometimes you get locked out on that door and you knock on it, no one comes, and then you walk around and we'll we'll see him in a little bit. Um, But again, just the hermeneutics of seeking to please people, which we want to have nothing apart. Um, Four would be some pastors misusing scriptures to validate um, their felt needs. And so again, starting with the idea of a person's feeling, you don't want to step on someone's feelings. If you've done that, then you haven't done it right. Um, But of course, feelings are are bad drivers. We don't want to allow our feelings to drive where we're going in the church. Uh, We want to allow the scriptures. And sometimes that is going to mean, oftentimes it's going to mean hurting feelings. Now, of course, we don't want to do that purposefully. I'm not out to hurt anybody's feelings. I don't like that. I live in a house full of girls, so I can know what that's like. Um, But nevertheless, we do want to preach the truth 
in a Christ-like way. And if that hurts someone's feelings, there's not much we can do about that. And it may be that their feelings are being hurt because there is a pride that is not allowing them to submit to the Scriptures. And so we want to continue to preach so that the pride is broken, uh, humility comes, and when there's humility, uh, then your feelings typically are saved. And then the last thing we covered, two devastating preaching assumptions. Um, these are just things that maybe a, a preacher could adopt as an assumption um, when he gets into the pulpit that would be devastating. Uh, one would be that he needs to meet every need in order for them to reach wholeness, he says, which of course cannot happen. Uh, there's no way that I can meet everyone's need. There's no way that you can meet everyone's need. That's not the purpose. Where the messenger, Christ, meets the needs, the Holy Spirit is going to meet the needs, God the Father will meet the needs, or we're just preaching the truth. And so if you were to adopt that, it would be devastating because that would be a goal you could never, uh, never meet. Um, and so we want to get rid of that. All right, so now we're on to six, and that is um, what about people's appetite for faithful exposition? And, and what he's going after here would just be the idea that, okay, there's growing evil in our society, our society is changing. But one of the things that's changing are people's attention spans. Um, social media, the, the news comes in short snippets. Uh, YouTube, we're, we're talking about five, ten-minute videos. Uh, there's not a lot of long-form things, although there's, there's some. And so people's appetites are changing. So how do we, as the church, um, interact with these people? Do we lower the bar? Uh, do we start to put out the little snippets? Uh, what, what does this look like? And so he says people are spending their time cultivating an appetite for tele television, movies all week. Um, I think the movie industry is helping us here because they don't typically put out anything good these days. And, and so we don't have to worry about that as much. Um, people crave humor, light messages. Uh, they want kind of the things that make you feel good. Um, and then here's the social media short snippets. And, uh, and then one thing he had, you have to keep in mind, this was written maybe five, ten years ago. People complain about inaccessibility. Um, yeah, I don't think that that's the case necessarily more. You can access truth all day long um, on the Internet. And so this is where people are at. Now, one thing I think we need to be careful of in the church is just because people are, are here um, doesn't mean that we would just ignore this and use it as an excuse to preach a, a boring sermon. Okay, well, the reason that they're not and, you know, liking church or, or whatever is because they're just not used to it. When in reality, you know, you're just data dumping a bunch of facts that you got from commentaries and, and you need to do a better job at preaching to their heart. Um, and so we don't want to use that as an excuse. Um, sin may have put them in kind of a drunken-like state, but a, a sermon filled with the Spirit should be able to sober them up um, because it's the fear of God. Um, and truth is true, and it should hit them where they're at. And so you don't want to use this as an excuse. But I think one thing you do want to do is just realize, although they may have gotten a lot of junk food, and they're used to that, healthy food over time should start to not only taste better, um, but produce better results. 
And so this is something that you probably don't need to think about in a, a one sermon dose, but in a, in a year, three year, five years, faithfully preaching the truth, and God's word is going to have the effect that he promises. And meanwhile, we want to continue to get better at bringing that truth to a culture um, that is increasingly more hostile, doesn't get it, has less biblical knowledge. We want to figure out how do you bridge that gap? Well, if you go and you, you look at Christ, how did he bridge that gap? He wasn't just preaching straight theological truth with words that people didn't understand. He was preaching theology, but he brought it in such a way that they could understand. And so we want to make sure that we're using common everyday illustrations, just like Christ did, and bringing the truth so that there's no excuse. They understand it. They know exactly what you're saying. Um, and so you don't change anything you're saying, but you do say it in a way that they can understand because the meaning of the text, understood, is the text. That's the truth. That's the power. Um, and so, again, we don't use where the culture is at as an excuse, um, but we do try to meet it uh, in a powerful way as we preach the truth. Uh, if you're preaching and, and people say, if someone were to say to me, I just don't understand your preaching, to me that would be a, kind of a red flag indicator that, okay, I need to give some definitions. You know, if you use a word that may be propitiation or something that someone doesn't understand, typically it only takes like five more words to explain it. Just a quick definition or a quick illustration. And so, yes, they might be biblically illiterate. Make them literate. Help them understand. And that's just caring for people's uh, souls in that way. So when they say, I don't understand, help them to understand. Um, and, and you should be thinking about in the audience, not only the mature, but the immature, um, everybody who's out there, you're seeking to um, help. Second thing he says under this, uh, people's desire for faithful exposition, he says the desire to talk about theology is not necessarily an indicator of a good spiritual appetite. And so you may be in a place where you've got a lot of young guys or whatever, and they've just figured out that it's cool to talk theology. It's cool to use the big words. It's, it's cool to say young, restless, and reformed, or whatever the next thing is that everybody's talking about. Now we could just use that as something that, okay, everybody must be good here. They, they learn the catch words. Hey, I just want to know, is your church reformed? And they've just learned that that's what you say, but they have no idea what that means. <laughs> and so uh, that's not necessarily what we're after. I think it's great to talk through theology, but to his point here, we're, we're looking for theology applied, uh, theology lived out. Theology that makes a difference in our heart. Uh, theology that causes us to love Christ more and to love uh, people more, to love His Word more. We're, we're not looking at it as a status symbol or whatever. Um, and so you're going to have people that want to debate theology, um, and, and that's great on one level, uh, but it's got to get beyond that. It can't just be a debate or an argument. That's not what theology is created for. And so we want to see it as a way to get to what the Bible is saying and to live it out as he's called us to. And then the last thing he says under this would be pastors or faithful pastors model exposition 
to help cultivate an appetite for exposition. In other words, as a church is preaching faithfully through books of the Bible, explaining verses within the context, bringing out the original meanings of of words and illustrating that, that should create an appetite and and a hunger for more of it. Um, And in some ways, it should model exactly what everyone can do, even outside of the pulpit. Uh, when they open up their Bibles, they want to know what does this mean in context. Now, we want to be doing this in, in the pulpit. We want to be doing this in, in college ministry, high school ministry, Sunday school class. We're, we're in every area that we can. We're helping people to understand this is how you approach the Bible. This is where the power is when you understand what it truly means. And so that we just create that culture where that appetite um, is uh, fostered and created. And so uh, that would be under people's appetite. Next thing, Satan schemes against the power of faithful uh, preaching. So Satan knows that preaching can be powerful, particularly if it's done right. He knows the powers in the Word of God. This means he's going to come after it. Uh, He's going to seek to lessen it. Uh, And so he's got some things under here. The authority of Scripture will be attacked. First uh, Thessalonians 2.13 says, And for this reason, we also thank God without ceasing. Ceasing, not seizing. We don't want to seize when we thank God. No, ceasing. That when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also is at work in you who believe. So here's what all of us should be aiming for. One, that when we open up the Word of God, anytime we open it, we receive it as it really is, as the Word of God. Here's what Satan is aiming for. That anytime we open up the Word of God, we will receive it as it isn't, just the Word of men. And that tension, or, the, or that those two truths, or not truths, but those two ideas, or set in tension with one another, and Satan's constantly trying to get us just not to receive it as it truly is. And so he knows that the power of Scripture is in the Scripture. And so he might get us to believe that, okay, Scripture is powerful, but we need a little more than this. We need Scripture plus something else, plus modern psychology, medicine, whatever it may be, different um, podcaster who's really relevant. We need all of it, right? Um, Whereas we need to come to the Scripture with the understanding that this is sufficient for everything we need in life. Uh, The faith of individuals in the power of Scripture. Uh, We need to keep our faith in this. And we live in a day and age where a lot of things are explained by science, a lot of things are unexplained by science. And and we might... begin to just kind of take on the modern view of things where we don't see God as in control, uh, but nature or science or whatever it may be. Okay, sure, miracles, uh, that was a thing maybe in the past somewhere, but we don't truly believe that God could do a miracle today, whatever it is. And so we just lose the idea that everything that we see going on is God is in control of it. He's, he holds it all together. And just that spiritual idea of God being in control. Uh, the commitment that believers have to one another in body life. This is something Satan wants to lessen, and, and he is certainly doing a great job at it. 
Now, as we have the, the screens and we have more capabilities in of ourselves, through our phones or whatever it may be, there's people who begin to think, okay, well, I don't necessarily need fellowship or I can disregard fellowship. I have everything I need. And of course, we know that's not true. And so we want to fight against that um, in this church and within our relationships. Now, the clarity of authoritative propositional truth coming from you know, the pulpit. Uh, this might be uh, something that Satan would say, okay, that's, that's great, but we're going to start watering that down. Um, change the message a little bit. Let's, let's use a little more stories. Uh, let's get a little more entertainment. Let's just be pragmatic. And so you begin to lose the fact that, okay, this is where the authority is. I just need to understand this, explain this, preach this. And then you begin to think, okay, well, no, I need to sound erudite. Uh, I need to make sure I'm, I'm hitting the, the cultural um, points that are going on. Um, and so you lose your confidence in this. Uh, the hearer's awareness of his obligation to truth every time he hears it, regardless of how he feels about it. Um, Satan loves to use our feelings to cloud our understanding or reception of the truth. Now, we need to come at Scripture knowing that, okay, I may feel a certain way about it, but this is God's Word. And regardless of how I feel, I need to get in line with it. My feelings need to get in line with the Scriptures and not the Scripture in line uh, with my uh, feelings. And so we certainly want to get that idea um, out there. Um, and let's uh, see the heralding of God's Word with the force and weight and conscience-building implications that God ordained it to have. Uh, Satan would seek to, to soften this. And, and so, you know, don't, no hard preaching, okay, you're going to ruin your hearers or, or whatever, you're going to drive them away. Um, Satan wants that to be softened. Uh, let's just do feel-good sermons, okay? If everybody leaves the building and they feel great about themselves, uh, then that's good. And, and you know what? You may get people coming back to, to that because there is a certain sense it feels good. Uh, but you want to preach God's Word as it is. And that means that sometimes it is going to feel good because God's Word can be encouraging. Sometimes it's going to hurt a little bit, uh, which I think a true Christian will eventually begin to say, that feels good too, because that's truth. And so you don't want to allow that to change anything. The boldness that Christians ought to have in order to silence them by labeling them as critical or narrow this would just be Satan desires to, um, what would be the word I'm looking for here, but if you can criticize the preacher, um, if you can label them as a certain thing, then maybe people will stop listening to him. And so you may have a man who is preaching faithfully, um, who's going to be attacked from all angles. And oftentimes they're not fair attacks. They're going to come from people who aren't in the church, who are outside or whatever. And what they're going to do is they're going to take something they've heard and they're going to put a label on it. And if you can just get people to see this person under this label, well, then you've lessened what he truly wants. Not that person. That's fine. But you've lessened the power of the word of God that's coming from his mouth. Um, and so we want to be careful of that, particularly in a day and age where that's all over the place in social media. We don't start attacking one another or believing every attack that might be out there 
um, when labels are just being thrown around. Because the idea might be that Satan is just seeking to decrease the power of the Word of God in the hearer's mind. And the accountability that men have for the content that they preach and write and speak and blog about. Um, and then I would say the last would be if the power of God's Word is in the Word, and if God is the writer of the Word, I think one way that Satan seeks to attack, and I hear this often, would just be a correct view of who God is. And so someone may believe everything you're saying, but if they believe that God isn't good or just or fair or whatever, then they're not going to listen. And so Satan will seek to attack the very character of God. And if you can attack the character of God, it really doesn't matter what you preach. They're not going to hold on to it. If they see God as someone who's, who's not caring for them or loving them or whatever it may be, well, then Satan's uh, one in that way. And so these are some of the schemes that Satan has used um, more recently. Uh, slander of leadership, uh, confusing, uh, bringing confusion or whatever it may be, um, saying that Scripture isn't clear. All of these types of things Satan would seek to use. All right, we've got to move on or else we're not going to finish. and We can't have a part three here because we don't have enough uh, stuff to cover next time. Um, a power of God's word against Satan's attack. And so I like that he ended with this because, okay, how is the, the preacher, how is a faithful church supposed to respond to all of this, to this idea that uh, there are powers and authorities, there is, Satan is at work against the church. Now, what are we to do? We just remain faithful to the truth. He says, the conviction that faith comes only by hearing the word of God and that nothing else transforms men. You just stay on that conviction. I'm not going to do anything else because this is where the power is. Why would I leave it? I, I can't uh, adopt another method. I can't bring other things into the pulpit or Bible studies or, or whatever that may be. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ, Romans 10, 17. So if you truly believe that, you're not going to go looking elsewhere for something else to add in. Any adding in is just going to dilute the power of the word of God. Uh, the same preaching will be foolishness to some, and so having this understanding, and to others, the power of God. And so, um, in other words, you expect that some are going to see it as foolish. They're going to reject it. So that doesn't surprise you. That doesn't cause you to change the method. But also, you expect that God is going to use His Word, and those who are receiving it, they're going to know that's the power of God. Give me more of that. And so you're preaching. You're throwing the seed out. God's going to water and cause uh, the, the growth. Now that verse, 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the word of God is foolishness to those who are perishing. They're going to see it as foolish. And, and this is something that I think is amazing. But there's a lot of modern preachers, uh, modern churches, who would say, okay, the, the culture is seeing it as foolish. Therefore, we need to change things so that we're accepted by the culture, which is ridiculous. They are perishing. That's why they see it as foolish. You just need to keep preaching because it says, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Eventually that foolish person might get saved and all of a sudden they understand what I thought was foolish 
is actually powerful. So the problem is not the message. The problem is the heart has to be changed. And, and so we can't allow a deceived, dead heart to be the thing that tells us what to say. The gospel itself is the power of God for salvation. And so we can't trade that for the power of man. And then the ministry of the proclamation must happen in season and out of season, regardless of appetite and unaltered by audience of response. Uh, this is the charge. This is what God has called us to do. In season and out season means all seasons. Uh, we want to uh, preach, and as he says in 2 Timothy 4-5, uh, fulfill the ministry that we have been given. And then if you turn your page, he's just got one quick page that is pretty similar to what we're uh, covering here. Um, and he covers two things. Today's typical approach to preaching is subjective and experiential, and the nature of the Word of God is powerful and transforming, you know, which is some similar things to what we've, we've, we've been saying. Uh, and so he says under point one uh, that here's some ways that people might do this kind of subjective preaching or experiential preaching. How can you do that? We're just going to create a list of topics that are more subjective, that are going to hit people where they're at, that they're going to fulfill their experiences, whatever, and you're going to teach those things. Now, you're going to find key words that appear in the Bible that go along with your series. You're going to be clever in, in how you do that. Now, you're going to develop a message around that. Disregard the author's intent or context. You're not doing the, the hard study because if you do that, you might realize, wait a second, this is saying something completely different than where I wanted to go. Okay, and so I'm just going to use this for where I want to go. You're pulling things out of context, and you're hitting whatever it is you want. Why we must not do that? Uh, well, to teach a principle authoritatively that is not from the text means that the authority lies now with the preacher. And so if that's what you're doing, the authority is now in your own mind, your own message, your own cleverness, um, and it's not in the Word of God, which means, although everybody in the audience may see you as a powerful preacher, there is no power in your preaching because the power is in the Word of God. And so, of course, we want to avoid that. And then secondly, he says the nature of the Word of God is powerful and transforming, and so we just come back to this original uh, conviction that we've been harping on, and that's just we have to remain convinced that God's Word is powerful, it's sufficient, it's inerrant. Uh, <clears throat> the gospel is where the power is at. All Scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Why? So that the man of God may be equipped, um, having been equipped for every good work. Uh, John 17, san uh, 17, sanctify them by your truth. Your Word is uh, truth. And so just back to that conviction, God's word is powerful. This is what we must fill our lives with. Uh, and this is what informs our teaching um, in whatever area we are teaching. So let me pray for us. And then we've got some discussion questions for your tables. Father, we thank you uh, for this morning, for waking us up, for getting us here. Lord, I thank you just for the uh, the men that are here and just the encouragement that is uh, Lord, you've called us to sharpen one another. And so in the church, we want to continue to encourage one another to excel uh, in our love for you, excel in our love for others, to grow in our knowledge um, of the word. Father, as we see um, that or reminded that Satan is constantly attacking 
Father, we understand that we're not above being attacked. We're not above being deceived or, or led astray. And so, Father, we pray for your protection. Uh, we pray that you would make us more humble, that we might be more uh, dependent, so that we might stand firm just as you have called us to. Uh, so, Lord, be with us now as we go to our tables. And we pray all of this in your name. Amen.